This is the Power of Genetics podcast. In each episode, I'll be interviewing successful practitioners and impactful thought leaders in the world of health and performance. They will share their journey, their insights, and their best advice for us all. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe. Let's begin with today's episode. Today, I have a very special guest as I have a fellow South African, which doesn't happen very often. So a very, very big warm welcome to Mariette Abrahams from Portugal, speaking to us from Portugal today, a big welcome to the Power of Genetics podcast. Thank you, Gail. Thank you so much for having me, inviting me to be part of this podcast today. So Mariette and I have been like, parallel I have had like parallel careers but I think we kind of started out in a similar way at a similar time and I think you know Marietta set out to kind of conquer the whole of Europe and the UK and and really have a huge impact which you're going to hear about and I've been a lot more focused on on the USA but you know uh, Marietta is is one of those people who I have the deepest respect for and the extraordinary work that she's done so I'm super excited for you to all hear about this amazing journey and um, Mariette is, is one of those kind of renaissance women who is able to kind of juggle a whole lot of stuff in the air again that you're going to hear it from academia to corporate nutrition business entrepreneurship one of those so I'm going to hand over to you Mariette if you can just introduce yourself and Kind of tell them what are you doing right now and like we're going to get back to it at the end and go deeper but just where you are right now where you're living what business you've got what you're doing and then I'm going to ask you of course to start right at the beginning going back to kind of our original start both of us back in South Africa and where it all began great so thanks I'll, I'll start with a with a short summary so um my name is, of course, Mariette Abrams, and I'm the CEO and founder of Kina. Um, Kina is a platform and a consultancy that specializes in the area of the emerging area of personalized nutrition. Um, we focus on providing market intelligence, uh, innovation services, research services, and strategic advice to companies who want to innovate in the personalized nutrition industry. Um, I won't go too deep into what exactly, well, I'm sure we'll come back to that, but essentially what we do is we work at the intersection of nutrition and technology um, and food and health uh, and help to really provide companies with the scientific knowledge and expertise to really uh, create the future of nutrition, you know, in terms of products, in terms of services that can really benefit all. So I think that's a great, a great way to start because anyone who, who, um, listen to that explanation of Kina will understand that to be a founder and a CEO of a company like that, you need to have a great amount of skills, expertise, experience, and content knowledge. So that's, that's a perfect segue into kind of going back and understanding how over the years and um, decades for us, you know, you've managed to build that extraordinary amount of expertise that will would enable you to be able to found and run a company like Kina. So that's a, a great segue. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, as, as, as a child, I guess I was always very interested in health. Um, I was always active, always active. My, my parents weren't necessarily health conscious people. 
uh, but we had a very simple, I would say, diet. Yeah, it was very much uh, no no luxuries um, uh, or, or only at parties. You know, don't eat too much. Uh, you know, have your your five fruit and veg a day. You know, it was very very basic. Nothing nothing you know extraordinary. I I also didn't have any issues. I think a lot of times people think we become dietitians because we had some kind of an issue. I never had an issue. I was I was healthy. <laughs> I love food. I love healthy food. Um, I think the advantage that I had is that I grew up actually in Europe. So I, I was born in South Africa and because of South African, uh, you know, apartheid, uh, we were we were uh, escorted out, out of the country uh, because of my father. And, and I actually grew up in Germany and the Netherlands. So that meant my whole childhood was, was actually in Europe, which of course confused the whole situation because I always thought I was European growing up because I left when I was four. And so I, I was exposed to, you know, Turkish food and, you know, very African food for, for the people that we were surrounded by, you know, who also were kicked out of the country. And so my exposure to different cuisine started really young. Um, being, but, but being, uh, nestled in this tiny little town in the Netherlands. So it was a, it, it, looking back, it was a really, you know, extraordinary upbringing. Um, and, but then we went back uh, when I was 12. Um, and then I, you know, was exposed to, you know, 20 different kinds of sodas and 30 different kinds of chips and something that I wasn't exposed to at all. And so that's why I thought, hey, actually this nutrition thing is actually quite important. And the way that we had the simplicity of eating, you know, fresh and local and home cooked um, actually has, has some kind of a benefit. So by the time I was at high school, I was um, on the volleyball team. I was playing squash. I was a swimming coach. I was, you know, I was so active and I didn't really know what to do. And so we had a career counselor at the school and she said, well, you know, you're very interested in health. You're quite good at science and um, you're always active. So why don't you consider this degree called dietetics? And I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, yeah, maybe that sounds quite good. So I had two options. I, I was really interested in studying kind of psychology um, or doing, you know, dietetics. So I went to my dad, who was a professor in theology, and he he kind of was always the, you know, decision maker. He was the final stamp on the on the paper, and he said, "Psychology, no, do science." And so that's how I actually got into dietetics. Um, and so I applied, and I got into Stellenbosch University. Um, and so that's really, you know, an interesting uh, experience. You know, I I, I really I I really yeah, I liked it. I, I wouldn't say I was like, yay, top student for everything. No, I definitely was not that person. Um, but then I qualified and I realized that, okay, what I want to do is um, get into clinical nutrition because that was kind of the, the exciting bit, the kind of bit that I thought, this is the bit that really inspires me and, and I'm interested. I like putting pieces of the puzzle together. And I thought, yeah, clinical is, clinical is my route. That's that's the way I'm going to go. But of course, there were no clinical roles. <laughs> As you probably know, there are like so few clinical roles in, in dietetics in, in South Africa that I ended up, my first job was actually in food service management. And um, so I started my first job in FedEx at, uh, at a school being a, a assistant catering manager. And, you know, day two, I was like, no, this is not going to be my life. But... It taught me a lot of things. So I then did, did a year, got a lot of experience. And actually, 
they were also very good because they said, if you want to study anything else, you know, we'll fund it. So I immediately signed up to do a sports nutrition certificate, you know, diploma or something. And uh, so I did that while I was in my first year. And then after year one, I said, no, I'm, 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 I'm off. And so my second job was at a pharmacy. Um, but they were very proactive in terms of, you know, health services. If you think about it now, they were already providing preventative healthcare services in Santon, Johannesburg, right in the early 2000s. You know, that that's was early. really, really, yeah. you think now we are fighting for that now, but that was already happening. Yeah. And so I was then the dietitian at that time and uh, I, I enjoyed it. But like week one, it's like, yeah, this is, this is. This is not going to last. And so <laughs> I already then planned my exit out of South Africa to go to London to get um, clinical experience, which I then did. Uh, so I ended up working in the NHS. Um, I got a job um, in the hospital, uh, in the hospital setting. Um, and then within a month, I said, this is lovely and great. And I'm, I'm learning a lot, but I'm probably not going to do this for the rest of my life. And so, um, so I was already kind of thinking how, you know, not, not what's my exit strategy, but, you know, I need a strategy for this because I, I'm not the, the lifetime job kind of a person. And um, so I, I, in my, I think within six months, I was then made permanent and then got a senior position. And then within a year, I signed up to do an MBA. And I thought, you know what, I want to diversify my skills. I don't know because the trajectory was always like, do your BSc, then do a do it, then do a master's, and do a PhD, and then decide you want to go clinical. Do you want to go research? Do you want to go industry? You know? And I didn't have that kind of um, love for anything at that time uh, that I wanted to specialize in. However, as I carried on in my clinical role, it became very clear that gastro was my love. Uh, you know, gastroenterology, uh, inflammatory bowel disease was my specialization. I managed the nutrition team, and we had a really great you know, caseload and really great nutrition team of um, inflammatory bowel disease patients, you know, surgical resections, you know, you know uh, super interesting. And I thought, you know, IBD is going to be my thing. That is the area that I'm going to specialize in. That's probably the area I'm going to do my PhD in. And, um, and, then, and then I decided maybe it's also too early. And I was doing the management role in combination with my MBA because then I applied what I was learning. And, and, and then my boss went on maternity leave and I said, oh, well, I'll do just the department management job. I'll just become the department manager. Now I'm applying my, what I'm learning. And that's when I realized, yeah, I'm not gonna be a I'm not gonna be a manager in the NHS. It's just not, it just does not match. And so I decided, you know what? I'm gonna leave the NHS and then I'm gonna go into management consulting maybe and use my clinical skills with my business skills now and then you know do it and you know use that kind of knowledge. And then the the gastroenterologist that I was working with at the time, because you know, we were working so closely in the nutrition team, he said, you know, Marie, you know, you have great clinical skills, but you will. Your personality does not match the classic management consultancy role. So I was like really in trouble. Okay, so this really helps from somebody who's really, you know, getting that mentor honesty, who really knows is really, I think, key because sometimes we think we know ourselves, but actually other people can sometimes see things in you that you don't really see. And um, what he also made me do a lot was present grand rounds clinical rounds, ward rounds, medical students. I mean, I absolutely hated it. 
And, and I didn't know at the time that it would become very useful later on in life. So he saw in me things that I didn't see. But anyway, I then left the NHS and then ended up um, packing my bag, going to Brazil, deciding what I wanted to do. And then got a phone call from my other South African <laughs> dietitian friend who said, hey, we're looking for a dietitian who's got clinical skills in IBD as well as business you know, uh, skills or knowledge um, for this medical nutrition company. And, uh, and that's, of course, what I did. So I packed my backpack again, went back uh, to the UK, took up this role, and that exposed me to then the whole world of medical nutrition, your industry, um, how that works. So going from a clinical role to then a med medical nutrition or industry role was then the step into industry. Uh, and of course, they had another perspective and stage of where they were at in their clinical research in IBD. And that kind of sparked it for me. That was like, this is it. This intersection of nutrition and technology, this is the future of health. This is where it's going to be. Because what we saw in clinical was some people responded, other people didn't respond. We couldn't profile them. We don't know why. Is it genetics? Nobody knew. Is it the diet? Nobody knew. And uh, this is it. It's going to be personalization. And that was really the trigger for me to realize that personalized nutrition, which wasn't really coined at that time, but that is going to be the future. It's understanding and leveraging technology to really move this advice that we were giving to the next level. Um, what year was that? What, what year was that that you joined the industry? I'm just one, trying to understand a little bit about what, what year was it? Was like the mid 2000s or when was this? Yes. So that was 2007, 2007. Yeah. 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 So kind of personalized so medicine was starting to gain some ground. There were some Correct. genetic testing companies out in the marketplace. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Handful, handful, right? Really, really tiny. And it yeah. started off kind of with the genetics. And um, so then I, um, I was learning a lot. And I loved industry, you know, at that stage. But, you know, the machine is slow. You know, <laughs> big companies are slow. And the bureaucracy is also there, you know, even looking, you know, in comparison to the to the NHS, where you think, okay, that is really slow. You know, things are not moving, you know, you know, translating what you see in the science to practice, you know, takes a good, what, 10, 17 years. And then you move to industry and you think, you know, things are going to like go, go, go. And it's not, <laughs> it doesn't happen. And so, I thought, no, I need to, I need to change. Like, no, this does not match my personality. And uh, so then I um, moved to Portugal, 20, uh, 2009. Um, why Portugal? Tell then, us why Portugal. It seems like so after so, Netherlands, yeah, Germany so and South Africa, London, why Portugal? So, so, so funny story. Uh, so when, up my backpack um, when I left the NHS I went to Brazil and I thought you know what I'm going to teach English or something for two years and then I'll go back and then I would have figured it all out well on my first day um, of arriving on on a beach in Brazil um, I, I sat on the beach and I was like wow I'm in Brazil I don't speak a word of Portuguese and I was like I can't believe I made it to Brazil and like yeah and so so somebody came up to me and said, Hey, can I just, I just want to go into the sea. Can I just like leave my towels and my bags? Yeah. Well, 13 years later, we're like, and two kids later, we married. So that's, Oh was my gosh. What an incredible story. Oh, no way. 
on holiday from Portugal and I came on my whatever I was on to Brazil and we met on this and he was also on his first day on holiday so we met on this beach totally randomly and um and then yeah we just decided okay well this 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 we like we match we we kind of get along and so um so he went back to Portugal I went back to London and then and then eventually he gave up his job came to came to the UK um and then and then we had the maternity leave so in the UK you get maternity leave for a year right yes. so we then decided, like America, hey, yeah yeah duh. Let's take the maternity leave in Portugal because he's got a place out here, and then we'll just go back. And that didn't happen. So you never went so back. Just stay. No. Once <laughs> you get used to that sunshine, it's kind of hard, right? Totally, totally. So we were like taking our, you know, uh, our breaks on the beach, and it was just, you know, it just it wasn't comparable. And also in such a kind of high powered, I, I think, job, you know, it was 60, 70 percent travel. And you can't do that with like your first child, you know, just leaving the child with ooh, the husband, the nanny. And I decided, no, that's not what I wanted. And so, so I quit my job and, um, and ended up then taking some time out to decide what I wanted to do. And I think this is also important because sometimes you kind of have this pressure of find a job, you know, do something, jump in it. And I didn't. And I took the time to do my research and I found that locally there are about two dietitians uh, on every street corner, <laughs> every doctor gives nutrition advice. And really that kind of traditional way of, of providing dietary advice was really saturated, you know, locally already. And so I did my research and I thought, okay, what can I do? How can I combine my now clinical knowledge with my business knowledge, with my industry experience or my industry yeah, knowledge also, and, and create something new. And so at that stage, I was exposed to nutrigenetics because that was the natural area that I was then interested in, in terms of you know, coming back from the, the IUD then again. And that's when I started diving and experimenting. But that stuff that I must say that 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 also, as, as my 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 itching lifestyle, you know, my itching personality. So I started doing that and I thought that I would um consult with patients, you know, that's what I thought I would do. But because I was out of it for so long, I did it for a very short amount of time. And then I decided, no, it's it's I like, I, it's just not where I am at the moment. And so I thought, you know what, let me consult. And so I consulted with a few companies, started with biotechnology. And then as I started then getting invited to speak um, at events, that then expanded into consulting for farm and consulting for retail and consulting for, you know, loads of other companies, companies. And I thought, this is really, this is really a gap. The gap is that many of these companies that are starting out did not have any uh, scientific experience or scientific expertise on the team and 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 real life experience which is really the key because as dietitians and nutritionists we know what people ask in clinic we know the problems that they're having in their day-to-day -day life we know who they follow or what you know what they read or where they hang out and that's the kind of information and insight that you know many of the companies don't actually have which clinical guidelines are followed how how to actually communicate this kind of step in the guideline? How to formulate a personalized plan? None of these things were actually known um, at that time um, in these companies. So there was a huge 
gap in the market. And so I thought, you know what, this is this is this is what we're going to do. We're going to be like this this gap, this uh, consultancy that really provides this kind of scientific expertise that brings the real world evidence, and that can also provide this um, ethical check, I would say, for companies to say, actually, no, uh, this is maybe not the right way to go, or you're actually worsening inequality here, or maybe you are really, really making a big story out of a very, very small story, you know, so there was really this gap. And so um, with that, that was really early on. So I would say 2012, 20, yeah, 2012. And then in 2014, um, I realized that personalized nutrition, you know, the industry as a whole was not moving as fast as I thought it would be. I would agree so with I thought, that. You know yeah. what? Yeah, the thing to do right now, I'm not inundated with clients, the thing to do right now is a PhD. That's just the thing to do. So, but then again, I was like, oh, I'm gonna do a PhD where they tell me what the topic is going to be. And because I won't be motivated. I now have two kids, uh, I have a husband, I'm trying to run a consultancy. I need to do something that's gonna really keep my interest and really keep me motivated and really have an impact. I don't wanna do something that just, you know, you get two papers and that's it. So I really wanna make a difference. And so what I realized was that in our nutrition dietetic community, there was a distinct difference between the dietitians who picked up nutrigenetics and got inspired by it, adopted it, communicated it, and then started teaching it. Whereas the others were really, um, there's not enough science, there's not enough this, the time is not right, it's too early. And, and I mean, the science is there, right? The, the, <laughs> I would agree, yeah. <laughs> the science is there, but what, what is the difference between those who adopt and that don't adopt? Because this eventually is going to impact the industry as a whole, because if the practitioners are the ones that are trusted, doctors are the ones that are trusted, how can we ever advance the industry if we don't understand what makes what makes one person adopt and the others not when this body of evidence is the same? I mean, you know, so that was really my my interest. And I thought that's the topic that I want to study. What is it that we need to do? What are the determinants that we need to address to be able to um, advance the profession as a whole and also make sure that um that the science evolves because if we don't have usage of the technology we will also don't, you know we won't be able to advance anything and so that was really the, the the interest and so what came out of that was that the difference is not the knowledge yeah the difference is not what you know or, or only people who who had phds adopt the technology the difference is it was really about very typical entrepreneurial traits, which you possess. So, so, so it was all about how can we teach entrepreneurial skills um, about openness, um, about risk-taking, about the perceptions that they hold, about the biases that they hold, and how that may be um, uh, limiting the, the way they see the world, the way they see, because we are trained very critically in, in the scientific world. And that sometimes can paralyze you to see the opportunities that help you to advance. And so that's where we need to focus. It's not about teaching people more. Yes, you need the science, 
but you also need to be able to switch off sometimes the very critical monkey that's sitting talking in your ear um, and be able to innovate and advance and do the things that actually have an impact. And that's where my PhD focus. So, so that's really an amazing journey. Um, but then I, I, I was doing it and the, the field was advancing slowly. And then by 2018, the field exploded. So it was such a, an amazing timing that, you know, I, uh, I didn't know at the time, but I, I finished my PhD in 2019 and, and the industry kind of exploded June, 2018. And then, and then COVID happened. Actually, and, I think my first COVID I had at my graduation. Exploded. Yeah. Exploded and imploded. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> That led to increased awareness and, and interest in personalized nutrition. So it was kind of like this, this melting pot of factors and situations and events that then that really built up uh, the, 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 the kind of um, knowledge base. So, so going from 2012, providing domain expertise, we then got you know, continuously the same questions from different industries, like who's in the market and who are the players and what are they doing? What are, how are they personalized? And, and then we decided, no, 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 no. We, we definitely need a platform that can provide some kind of a market intelligence to um, understand, you know, what is happening in the marketplace, which segments are growing, what, you know, where should companies focus? You know, where's the interest? What are consumers saying? And, so, and what are practitioners most importantly thinking? Yeah. And so these are the kind of factors then that eventually all culminated in um, developing a platform by you know leveraging now technology such as uh, natural language processing which you think we did not think about that when we were studying nothing that just kind of computer rooms like people have smartphones so all of that is new and so what i see now is the the practitioners who really kind of are, are continuously thinking hey what's what's new it's it's a shiny tool syndrome, you know, a shiny object syndrome, but you continuously have to think, you know, the industry is shifting. What do I need to learn? What do I need to learn to stay relevant and then to move the needle? And for us, it's about how can we learn and how can we still stay ahead? Because we can stay ahead because we need to influence, you know, what's coming after us because we know translating takes long. We know, to, we know adoption takes long. But we need to stay ahead because you know people are online now. Information is everywhere. So for for us now, as keen as a consultancy, we are uh, really focusing on connecting the dots between the practitioners, the consumers, industry, and academia to make sure that whatever advice is given through whichever technology is then based on you know reliable uh, evidence or the, the best evidence that we have. And so that's really, I, I think, in short. <laughs> Well, that was brilliant. That kind I of mean, a journey. That's been, I mean, it's it's an amazing journey, and um, I think what comes through. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between my journey and yours. I also did my two years at the NHS. I also realized that NHS wasn't for me. I also picked up a backpack and went traveling. But I think um, I also, you know, knew that personalized nutrition. I think the difference is I stayed in genetics, and and you kind of expanded into a much broader personalized nutrition but interestingly you know the question that you've been grappling with in your PhD is exactly the question obviously I 
am living with every single day at 3x4. And yeah. interestingly, I started 3x4 genetics in 2018. It was exactly from 2014. I had this yeah. epiphany of like the industry is moving. The industry has actually failed. We haven't actually made any progress in a decade and a half. In fact, if anything, I thought we'd gone backwards. And, you know, why had we failed? And that was kind of my 2014, 2015. And then uh, that led me up to, to launching 3x4, which was kind of trying to find a solution to all our failures. And, um, and I think timing is everything, as you say. And, you know, we, we launched in 2018, but it took me, you know, I, I'd already been in the industry for 18 years, figuring out what, what were the mistakes I was making. So I think... Um, I think what's really interesting, I mean, you went into business very intentionally with an MBA very early on. I kind of landed up in startups and and grew up in the business world through through just working in startups all the time and not being drawn into. I did one stint yeah. at um, Woolworths. That was my corporate institutional work, which I actually loved. Um, yeah. did, did my couple of years there, but, uh, you know, I'm not a corporate animal, not suited to it. Um, you know, much happier in, in, in an entrepreneurial environment. But I think what comes through clearly is your passion for, passion for the subject. But also, you know, you and I are a little bit like ADHD in this way that, um, you know, we, which, which some people, and if we'd been born 100 years ago, we probably would have been frowned upon severely. But kind of, again, you know, we're living in the right era where we do something, we try, we learn, and we move on. And I think that, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, you, you started a job and you stayed in your job. And, you know, that definitely exactly. isn't, you know, I think I did four, five, four first years before I decided, you know, where to focus. And um, I think the other thing that comes through so beautifully about your story is that you don't have to define yourself at any one time. Right. You, you don't have to say, I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a dietitian or I'm an academic or I'm an, and I think Mariette, your story is so inspirational in that no one should ever believe that they've stopped learning or that there isn't an opportunity around the corner. And the other thing which I wanted to ask you about, so so in 2018, before I st started 3X4, when I was going through this, I, I, I don't know if you experienced it the same way, but every couple of years I hit a wall, I'm disappointed, I'm disillusioned, I'm not happy with the work I'm doing and I'm not happy with the work I'm seeing around me. And I go into this kind of despair and think, you know, what am I going to do next? How am I going to have an impact? How am I going to change things? And then I usually go traveling. Um, I usually either uh, I go traveling um, and I try to go to conferences that are not in my space, you know, whether it's design thinking yeah. or whether it's exponential medicine or singularity yeah. or, and then I usually am able to kind of pivot um, and 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 see another way through. And it sounds like you have. And actually, funny enough, when I when I really kind of went back and tracked my career, it was so interesting because it was like every four years I hit a major block and would kind of pivot. You know, so it was yeah, interesting, interesting to hear you describe your career in a similar way that you would try something, learn something, gain expertise, and then kind of hit a wall. I mean, would you? Does that resonate with you? Oh. I, totally, because I never actually felt that I hit a wall, you know, like, like, I always felt like um, a, the, it's, a, it's a reflection time, just reflect, yeah. because when I, like, when you introduce me, I always laugh when people introduce me, because, because it was always inspirational, but 
but I didn't know that. Do you know what I mean? So now I speak at events and they and people contact me and say, how did you get to do that? Well, it wasn't planned. And now I look back and I hear how people talk about me or introduce me. And I think, no, 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 no. The impact, just questioning myself because sometimes we, we are so highly self-critical that we don't acknowledge and celebrate how far we've actually come. And, and sometimes I think, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not a Bill Gates yet. Yeah, but actually, you know, I come from a tiny little town, grew up as a refugee and then went back and then, you know, and now I live in a little town. So, you know, if, if I do meet people who haven't met me before and they say, oh, we've been following you for like three years, four years, something, I'm really, so I, we, we need to stop, you know, be so harsh on ourselves. And I think it's rather a time, it's not a, it's not a brick wall. It's a time just to say, thanks, you know, thank you for putting those events in front of me and those people in front of me and those, you know, opportunities in front of me because I didn't realize I was going to learn. And then when you stop, you go back and actually I've grown so much and it wasn't planned, but actually everything happened for a reason, right? There was a reason why I didn't have an interest in a specific topic. There's a reason why I did my own PhD, paid for my own PhD. And I think there's certain things, especially in academia, where people think, well, well, maybe that way is not the right way or it's going to be frowned upon. And I, I actually, you know, I think the MBA to me was a huge eye opener. It was a huge eye opener because I think it makes you see the world in different ways and it helps you to think in a different way that, you know, no is no is not a no. <laughs> no means wait and think, wait and check out, Ask give questions. it some time and go back to it. You know, innovate again, think again. And so that's why I think it's so important that, we are, are, are too limited in the way we think because we've been trained like that. And then you see other people and then as soon as you go a little bit to the right, they go, no, 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 you're not going to be part of the, of the community anymore. And I think that fear, we, that fear is holding a lot of practitioners back because like I said, I think you and I have the same way. People won't publicly say, oh, well, you know, Actually, now we see personalized nutrition is actually a huge trend, whereas in the beginning they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah you guys are just rebels. Yeah. Um, when, when actual fact, then you get the private messages and say, hey, how did you get there? How did you do that? Where do you think I should go? And I think people are just scared to be to, to make that move because I think, you know, everybody's got the potential and everybody certainly has the potential to have an entrepreneurial mindset, even though, even if you don't want to have your own company. But having that mindset helps you to, you know, widen your thinking and your scope. And I think that's what's important. So I, I see it as growth spurts, not growth a spurts. I like that. I'm going to change my narrative. I love that it's growth spurts. And I think you're 100% right. It's often when I do hit that, it's not a wall. It's actually introspection and reflection. And, yeah. and it's always about impact. Am I having enough impact? And, and how can I do better? And I think, so, so it's interesting because, the first 10 years, even 15 years of my career, everyone thought I was mad. I started Nutrigenomics in 2000, was my first company. So, you know, and everyone thought, you know, I wasn't invited to speak anywhere. I wasn't invited to any conferences. I, I was told it was fantasy and science fiction genetics and yeah. you know, wouldn't, it wouldn't be part of nutrition ever. And, you know, so it was quite funny. And then now, you know, 23 years in, I get these messages and go, and I love this and you will appreciate this. How, how did you get so lucky? to be an expert in nutrigenomics. And I, I always laugh. I'm like, 
23 years of luck and I always you know it's amazing but um when you when you work hard and you open yourself up and you're flexible to new ideas um even if you don't know the answers and I always say like in so many times I was faking it until I made it like I jumped in and and I said you know my biggest thing was not my brilliant mind or my expertise in science it was my boldness and my courage to jump into a space that made me feel uncomfortable and suddenly 23 years later I'm lucky so you know luck isn't 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 like that it's about putting yourself into I always say comfort in discomfort you know finding situations that you feel uncomfortable in and still doing it and it sounds like you've been doing that your whole career so my so my parents were really encouraging us uh, never to limit ourselves and our abilities or, you know, have any any uh, obstacles in our minds of what we could do and what we could achieve. So I was the first one in our family um, to do a BSc. And then I was the first one uh, to have an MBA. And now I'm the first one to have a PhD. So you think, you know, you think you haven't done anything, but now my cousins that are coming after me, they go, actually... I want to do a PhD. And so you, it's small, but actually you are impacting now, you know, your family and your wider community and people, you know, their networks. And I think that is how we're going to advance um, is, 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 to, is to just not limit ourselves of, of what we can do. And especially in a new industry, you know, the, the, the opportunities are endless. And I agree. And the yeah. difference we see now is, that technology is becoming the biggest competitor rather than, you know, between between practitioners, the technology is becoming competitor. So it's really the dietitian or the, the, the practitioners who do not adopt technology to some degree. And that does not mean moving your practice from paper to online. It actually means integrating technology in how you deliver care and how you communicate and how, in so many ways, you need to think the way that you, but it doesn't mean that it's a, it's an on off switch. No, yes, do it slowly yeah. and see what you are comfortable with. And, and, and then you can, because once you do that, you think, Hey, I did that. Now I can do this thing and you could do the next thing. I mean, we are doing so many things now. Like I said, we, that that I never ever thought you know were possible in terms of technology. And every time you see it, you think, hey, it's possible. Let's try it. And then you get feedback. And then and the next thing you have, you have a new you know service. So I thought. Um, also, I wanted to add that having this um, this entrepreneurship um, module. So the interesting that we we think. So as part of my PhD, I, I created this this module for nutrition professionals that teaches them about design thinking, creating an MVP. So it's an intense module of four days. And they learn about, um, you know, design thinking and developing a prototype and getting feedback and pitching, developing a business plan, all of that. And the most interesting thing is we have it now from both ways. So I get contacted by universities, MBA students who have found that personalized nutrition is an interesting market. So they're developing a product for the personalized nutrition industry. And it's, you know. Now I'm teaching nutrition students the business side, and they come up with the most amazing solutions. And they themselves are surprised that they can do that in four days. And then they take that idea, and most of them, do you know what? They end up in personalized nutrition companies because at the end of the day, that is where the future is heading. So if you are not at the intersection of you know food, health, technology, um, society, we like to call that, you know, the roles and the skills and the abilities uh, that practitioners bring to the table is enormous. And what frustrates me most of all 
what I see is that these intelligent, highly smart, scientifically super brains end up writing articles and blogs, you know, for companies. And for trials. I mean, how to eat your vegetables every day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just you can do so much more, but you need you need to be able to communicate what you are doing and the skills that you can bring to the table. Yes, you have you have writing skills, but you have critical analysis skills. You have communication skills. You have behavior change skills. You have so many things. And if you just tag on the entrepreneurial skills, you can make companies fly. And that's really what I want, you know, practitioners to know that they are able to do that, but they need to be able to switch, switch it on. <laughs> okay. Well, I love, I love this last part of the conversation. I'm sorry, we, we we're going to have to tie things up, but what I do want to do, because I think everything you're saying is so valuable. I'm hoping lots of practitioners are going to listen to this because I think it's, it's really exactly the messaging that I would like them to hear. Um, but I am going to finish off just by, if you can, can try in summary, you know, um, talking to those health professionals, either they're studying and they're finishing their degrees, not just dietitians, but all the disciplines, or they've just started in their career, or even those, those health professionals who are kind of sitting there and going, I need some introspection. I need to figure out what's next. Yeah. What would you, I mean, I know you've given a lot of advice and I'm, it's been wonderful, but how would you just break it down into maybe like three of your best pieces that you would give them? My first, my, my first insight and lesson is that we are now at a time that has never been before in that we have heightened interest in nutrition, health, wellness. Never has it been this high before. So the opportunity is now. Your skills are in demand right now. That's the first thing. The second thing is nutrition alone is not enough. Yeah, You can't just rely on your nutrition knowledge to get ahead, to carve out an opportunity, to build a business. You need to be able to have more feathers in your cap, but you should be able to think more laterally about what you bring to the table. I think that is really, really important. And the third thing is, Lifelong learning cannot be stressed enough. And I love the fact that you say, you know, you go to other conferences, you need to be able to mix with people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, who don't practice like you, because that's the only way you're going to expand your horizons and grow as a practitioner. And I think that is critically important. So nutrition conferences is great, but go to an entrepreneurship network, go to a meetup, go to an AI thinking tank, you know, go to places where you don't understand the language and it's okay. Because what I've learned is I've put myself in that situation and those people are so welcoming and you right. learn so much that you will walk away and think, I'll do that again. And that's, I think, a, a nugget of, of information that I really, really encourage everybody to do. I think that's a brilliant nugget and I couldn't agree more. Well, Mariette Abrahams, I am so happy to have had this conversation with you. I think your work is outstanding and impactful and I am very excited your passion because it may, I know that that means that you're going to be here for the next couple of decades, shifting things around. And I hope a lot of people listen to this messaging because I couldn't agree more with absolutely, you know, everything you've said. So once again, a really big thank you for taking the time um, and, and joining us here today at The Power of Genetics. Thank you for listening to The Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 
3x4genetics.com backslash podcasts.